Sooner or later, if you're raising boys, you are going to be confronted with the questions that a listener recently wrote to us. They went like this. How should we behave with our teen boys if they choose to be sexually active? Should I buy condoms for him? Should I let him have sex in my home? What is the best way to handle this situation as a parent? We are going to address all of this listener's questions. And even if you're raising a toddler or a young boy, this conversation most definitely applies to you. Stay tuned for On Boys. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits. And I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Janet, sometimes we need help. Sometimes listening to On Boys and visiting our Facebook groups is just not enough. We are still confused and overwhelmed by a parenting situation. You are a family coach. How can people connect with you and take advantage of your wisdom in order to move on to more peaceful family relationships. You know, it is so hard to do this alone. And nobody ever imagined parenting during a pandemic. And even without a pandemic, parenting was pretty darn challenging. So as a family coach for over 20 years, I've been helping hundreds and hundreds of families just kind of right the ship, get back to connection and harmony because parenting does not have to be hard or miserable, or miserable. So you can connect with me via a breakthrough session. And that is a complimentary call. We get on the phone, we talk about where you are, where you want to go, and how to get you there. You can schedule that with me at boysalive.com slash call. That's boysalive.com slash call. I look forward to connecting with you. We are both here in support of your families, in support of your peace in your parenting. And we want you to know that you are not alone. And now on boys. If you have a toddler or a young boy, you may think today's conversation might not apply to you. Yet I encourage you to listen in as we have invited some parents of grown children to share their experiences with you. Hearing their wisdom, and yes, maybe even regrets of those who have gone before, will hopefully inform and support you as you make parenting choices along the way. Today's episode was inspired by an Envoys listener who recently wrote this to us. How should we behave with our teen boys if they choose to be sexually active? Should I buy condoms for him? Should I let him have sex in my home? That is not what I think is correct, but I'm not sure what the right thing to say and do. I have a 14-year-old boy that I had when I was 17, so I know that as teens we choose to have sex. But what is the correct way to handle this situation as a parent? 
recognizing that every family, this is me again, recognizing that every family has their own values when it comes to healthy sexuality and being sexually active, we wanted to hear from parents who have recently parented their kids through this stage. As Denny said, one of our guests said, they are so close to being ready to launch and yet they are still living under your roof. What are the agreements? What do you say when your son asks you, can my girlfriend and I go to X and stay overnight? Whether you're at this age and stage or it seems far off and incomprehensible, our guests are sure to shed some light on this topic. Maybe a topic you'd rather avoid if at all possible. And yes, it's awkward. Our hope is that today's conversation will make it less awkward for you. Extra fun for this conversation is that we have a brother and sister joining us, raised in the same family of origin, but likely parenting their own kids with some differences. Dick and Denny, welcome. So good to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. I think this is going to be fun. <laughs> I feel like we should let our listeners know that this is totally unscripted and none of us know what the other is going to say, especially me, because I have not met Dick and Denny until about five minutes ago. There you go. And, and uh, full disclosure, Dick and I play pickleball together. So there's that. Dick's the father of three and his sister, Denny, is the mom of four. All right. So Denny, why don't you go first? Just tell us a little the dynamics, boys, girls, how old your kids are. Sure. I have four children. My oldest is 27, a boy. And then I have a daughter who's 25. And then I have another son who's 22. And then another son, the fourth is 20. How about you, Dick? Well, you're going to see how um, our parents were very planful in, in guiding us. So my, I have three kids. My oldest is 26. So you see how this fits. Um, and he's a boy. My next is a boy who's 23. And then uh, my youngest is a daughter who's 20. Well done, you guys. Way to yeah. line those up, huh? So your kids, it every other year. And your kids line up really quite well with mine. Um, as we're recording this, my oldest... Mine are all boys, four of them. The oldest is 23. The next one is, I think it's next week, he turns 21, an 18-year-old, and a 15-year-old, bringing up the rear. Okay, so we're going to help you. Or it's I always, too late. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's too late. <laughs> the track is going. <laughs> well, and my, as, as my, as the listeners, most listeners know, I have two daughters and they're pretty much a decade older than your kids. And you don't know this yet, Dick, I'm going to be a grandma. Aww. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Pretty now funny. listeners notice how this conversation changes. Janet just said, I'm going to be a grandma. And we all said, oh, yay. If I told you that I was going to be a grandma right now, and it was the 15 year old who was the father, it would be a totally different reaction. Timing matters, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And speaking of timing, of course, there's lots of conversations that happen before your child comes to you and says, you know, I want to, my girlfriend and I want to spend the night at X. So I'm curious how, and, and part of this, I think, starts with your family of origin and how these conversations were handled in your family. I grew up in the dark ages. We didn't talk about any of this. So I will admit right up front that I was not great about talking about this with my kids. So I'm curious how you guys were parented through this and then in turn how you um, had those many, many conversations that start before your kids even hit tweens and teens. So this is going to be a good conversation because Dick and I are eight years apart. So we kind of grew up in different households in a sense. And uh, who's the older sibling? Dick is. Hey, okay. On. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, so there was a lot of time where I was just in my own little elementary middle school bubble and he was on to bigger and better things. So I am interested to hear his perspective actually on that. All right. <laughs> You're on, man. <laughs> uh, well, daddy was the, um, the youngest 
she was the favorite of everybody. You know, she had not just mom and dad, but three of us as parents. So, um, so we carved the path um, ahead of her. And so how did our parents, so I'll just think about myself. Um, I was not sexually active until senior year. And uh, then I had uh, uh, a girlfriend who um, had been very, very close to my family and uh, we ended up getting married. Uh, but we didn't get married till we were 23. And so we actually, my parents and I didn't talk about it, but um, it was this unstated thing that it's like, okay, when my parents went to bed, uh, hmm. whether uh, uh, there, there was this door that got closed and uh, everybody knew what was happening and nobody talked about what was happening. We're all nodding. There's a lot of head nodding, a lot of head nodding going on here. I think that's been a reality for teenagers, likely for decades, if not hundreds of years, even before us. So, uh, and then I can talk about, you know, how I approached it with my kids, but uh, uh, Dan, you want to talk about uh, how it was for you? Yeah. I mean, it was for me, you know, I was just sort of, um, because I was the youngest and because I was young for my grade, I think I always got the impression that my mom was sort of assuming I was in that younger mode of the grade that I wasn't in. I was a year younger than all my, my classmates. Mm. So I, I actually was never even, it was never even an option in high school for me anyway. I, I just never got to a situation where I was gonna be sexually active. So it never really came up until after, and I clearly remember being in a car with my mother and now I'm in college and um, I had sex for the first time. And my mother said, or maybe mom she- Mom in the car? Me. Yeah, maybe I know. I'm like, me. wait, you were in the car with your mom and you had sex for the first time. Well, not in the car, but- <laughs> Um, somehow the subject came up because no, we never discussed it. I never, I never recall having a conversation with my parents about it. And, um, and I, it was probably more up to the pediatrician and that's probably who they allowed to have those discussions with. Cause I remember discussions about it with that, huh. with him. And so we the fun so part value our pediatricians to be information sources for our kids where we need that third party to sort of step in and say, okay, you, you talk to them about this because they're not, it's not, they need a more medical perspective on this or, mm -hmm. or something, whatever it is, you know, discipline. There were all a lot of years where the pediatrician helped me with discipline when some of the behavior was really bad and things mm -hmm. like that. Anyway, I just remember her saying, well, she said, have you had sex? And I said, I think so. And she goes, well, you either have or you haven't. And I said, right. Yeah, I guess I have. And that was it. You know it was, what? It that's, was like bizarre. That's all I can say. But that's a really good point because I remember when I had intercourse for the first time, it was like, oh, that's it. And I, and I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but in a like, all the things that you do that don't necessarily count as sex, but this apparently counts as sex. Um, so, you know, as an adult, it sounds funny to say, well, I don't know if I had sex or not, but our kids, if we don't have some conversations with them, it's really pretty easy to not know what counts, what doesn't count. My experience growing up, this is, this is really quite interesting, I think. I was raised obviously by my mom, my dad. Uh, my mom is a former Catholic nun, registered nurse. So I grew up in a uh, Catholic household attending a Catholic school, but my mom also is a nurse. So she was bound and determined, and I give her a ton of credit for this, that there be uh, sex ed at the Catholic school. So my mom took that upon herself. So there I am in seventh grade with my mom up there explaining the basics to my class. And that was about as comfortable for me as you can imagine. I giggled through the whole thing uncontrollably and it was terrible. So I always, I knew the mechanics and I knew the basics, 
and everything I learned had a very, very heavy dosing of the moral uh, Catholic viewpoint of sex, which is, you know, very basically wait until marriage, period, procreation, period. Although my mom also did believe in um, birth control because like people are going to have sex so better that pregnancies be planned than not. Mm-hmm. And you have five siblings, just I do have five siblings. Two. <laughs> I do have five siblings. <laughs> yeah. So I think, and, and likely our listeners are nodding along going, yep, that's how it was in my house. Nobody talked about it, or there was this heavy dose of morality given along with it. And as we do as parents, we want to do better for our kids, right? We hope that we will. So what was your philosophy? What were your family values around having conversations around healthy relationships? And then as they came to the point of being sexually active, were you engaged in conversation? I'll be the first to admit that I did not have good conversations with my kids. I let them figure it out. So did you do confession? did you have like any rules or guidelines on dating or like you can't date until you're this age or you need to this or that because different families handle that uh, differently as well yeah it was pretty easy because neither one of them dated in high school so we never had the conversations so you just kind of skipped over this part we just skipped it totally skipped it yeah okay well clearly they figured it out (laughs) clearly they did (laughs) Uh, you know, before we move on to our parenting, uh, one thing I'm just chuckling about is that our family was like really, really open with many things. Um, I, I can remember Denny announcing at dinner that she got her period. Oh, I had to call dad at the office. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. My mother, my mother was practically in tears about it. And she said, you've got to call dad and tell him at the office. This is such a big thing. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. <laughs> And wow, that is so different too, because on the one hand, you have my mom who as a nurse made sure I knew, you know, I knew exactly what was happening from a biological perspective, blah, blah, blah. And I had supplies. And when I got my period, like days went by before I bothered to tell her because I'm like, this is weird. Why would I even tell anybody this? Because it seemed like it should be such a private thing. And I don't know if that was societal moral stigma I mean I don't I don't know why but I mean to this day I'm not sure my dad knows I have periods Denny (laughs) (laughs) yeah no this is apparently you know the day I became a woman and it was uh needed to be shared with all interesting right which was very much our family I mean we were right someone referred to us at one time a dear friend of mine as the family of Labrador retrievers We'd go to the grocery store, we'd we'd kiss each other goodbye. We'd hug about this, we'd kiss about this. It was a very loving environment. So we're very lucky to have come from all that. And, um, you know, I I don't ever feel like we, what I remember the most about the topic of sex was that I convinced myself that I wanted to make sure the first time I had it, I loved the person. I'd never wanted to have it be a first experience where it wasn't someone that I loved. And so by senior year, I, I had a very, very, very dear friend. Um, and I, at one point we had a discussion. I said, maybe you and I should just get it over with so that we'll always know that the first time we had it was with someone that we loved. And um, we didn't, but we had that discussion. And so that's, that's the most profound thing to me of my memory of that. So you, was it with somebody you loved that first time? Well, I was certainly in lust with him. <laughs> That's fair. So if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> Janet's about to spit out her water. <laughs> That's actually a, a podcast episode right there. What's the distinction between love and lust? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that topic. Right. It was. Okay. Uh, That's actually probably a conversation that we should be having. We'll have you children. back. The, we'll have you back the for part two. Between exactly. love and lust. Yes. This was all crush. Mm-hmm. All conquest, all crush. That's all it was. <laughs> and then a pursuit of what I thought could be something and ultimately was 
not, but I, I'll never, I don't regret it. So how about that? Yeah. Is that the person whose name starts with a J? No, no. Oh. <laughs> no. You guys. We'll let you discuss afterwards. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. This is the after I'm, show. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> right. That's the outtakes um, so, or something, right? Right. So what's the question we're answering now that we went off on the Denny's period announcement? <laughs> you started that, Dick. <laughs> I know it. Yeah, you I know did. It. I'm just, yeah, you all did. All these stories coming up. Yeah. Well, it's how, you know, so you want want to make it different for your own kids. So how did you parent your children differently or the same? This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart baby formula. By Heart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer, and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete, it seems, how little we know and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's Irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. I think we should just dig into the, do you buy them condoms? Do you <laughs> let them have sex in your house? Let's just go there. Uh, and I, I think we're pretty different about it, um, Jenny and I. So, Jenny, you want to go first? I can, yeah. Um, so right from the get-go, we get way in there with our kids about everything, whether they like it or not. We just 
pull the layers right back and watch them squirm a little bit. And, you know, that's just how we started out. My husband and I always wanted to make sure that, you know, things were on the table. Me more than him. He came from a different background of full disclosure type of conversation. So um, I just got uncomfortably way in there with them and just asked the questions from an early on. The other thing too is like you were saying, Janet, the conversation starts early in school mm -hmm. and the education starts early. So it kind of opens it up early on as a conversation starter. Our parting gift to all of our kids as we're leaving their college room is the value pack of condoms, whether it was our daughter or our three boys. Mm -hmm. That was part of the CVS shop at college when we left them. So, That's a really good idea, I think. I mean, you know, you when you're sending your kid off to college or off to, you know, wherever, if they're moving into their first apartment, as a mom, I was all like, well, you need to have this cough medicine and you need to have, you know, this cream for itches. So you're stocking up anyway. Yes, condoms should be part of that package. Yeah, because we would say, listen, you know, even if you're not using them, if your friends are having, just hand them out, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever, just use them either for yourself or for your friends. Just will we embrace if something happens? Yes. But ideally, you're probably not ready to have a kid. Mm hmm. And that's what we just kept so saying. Did, did you did you buy it for them, or did you have them choose the um, the size and the uh, <laughs> the uh, style? No, that was always Steve's little outing. The first with our oldest child, I was in a coffee shop, and they said, "We'll be right back. We're gonna go do some errands." And I didn't know what Steve was doing. And then um, he told me later what he did, and then it became tradition. It's fun when it's kind of a tradition like that too, because you know your your kids talk to each other, right? So they know this is gonna this is coming. The last thing I'll say, Dick, before you go on is I think what was really, really great and ideally to have a female and a male in the household raising kids, I think is really ideal in this situation where the man is always gonna have a different perspective on the conversation with his boys versus the mom and her girl or the mom and her boys and the dad and the girl. There's, there's boundaries there sometimes that the same sex can go a little deeper because they can say, when I was your age, blah, 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 same sex situation. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was always great to have his perspective with the boys and just relatable. Yeah. So a uh, um, couple of things I'll say up front. One is, um, I'm sort of raising my hand and saying, you know, I am aware and have been for a long time that I have uh, two different perspectives on the way I think about sex for my boys and the way I think about sex for my daughter. And I, I'm quite aware of that. So it's, there's a, there's a real, I don't, it's not really a double standard. It's just a distinctly different perspective. And I'm, I'm happy to describe that. So that's just part of me. The second thing that I think is probably most important about my parenting of the boys. Well, first of all, I'm divorced. I've been divorced, well, separated and divorced since uh, 20, 2006. So for most of their, for all their formative years, they've had two different households and they don't uh, talk to me about what their mom talks with them about. And uh, Heidi and I, uh, my ex-wife and I have not um had conversations about how to how to approach this mm -hmm. uh, since we first got separated. So um, I think the most important and most valuable thing that I've done with my with my boys in particular that I think was really of service to them. They didn't like it, but it, I think it really was very good. Was that I talked with them about what it's like to be a high school boy. Uh, what I was like as a high school boy, what I experienced and talking to them very, very specifically through stories about what happened to me. So for example, when I was 16, I was on a month long uh, camping thing where, where we were working for the national park, volunteering for the national park. And it was a co-ed situation. And I ended up in my first experience and I had no idea what was going on. And I was with, uh, 
uh, a young woman who was uh, older and more experienced than me. And I won't describe it to you all, but um, I experienced some things that I didn't know what what I was feeling or touching or like, I just didn't know what was going on. And uh, if she had not stopped, uh, I could very well have had a child from that experience. And I wasn't pushing, uh, I should say, of course, knowing myself, I wasn't pushing it. But um, I've described to my boys over and over again through stories like that, um, obviously with some more detail for them, that um, high school boys, young boys, teenage boys are not in control of themselves. That this, this hormonal surge, this drive um, that's from ancient times is, is taking us over and we're not logical, we're not rational, and we're not conscious of what's happening. It's just all this drive. And so um, over and over again, in different ways, telling them those stories, not, at, not, not in front of my daughter ever, mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes privately with one of them, sometimes with both of them, um, particularly I find telling those stories when the lights are out and we're saying good night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to really look at each other or worry about eye contact or any of that stuff. Exactly. I found that a lot of the conversations took place during that really, really perfect moment when we're talking and uh, we don't have to look at each other. You, you, the two of you know better than me. It's like a lot of boys and dads, and a lot of men talk side by side, like when they're driving or when they're mm -hmm. walking, mm -hmm. much easier than sitting face to face. You know, um, I am thinking about and touched by the vulnerability of you having those conversations with your boys and thinking about how powerful that is, because for so many of our children, boys and girls, when we don't talk to them, and especially right now in the culture, Porn is their point of entry, right? And porn is what you see and it's how you sort of think sex is. And we're all naturally curious. We want to know what happens and, and what do people do when they have sex? And when you watch porn, you certainly do not see a guy who doesn't really know or understand what's what's going on, what's happening. Um, I, I'm, I'm confused about this. That's not a message that boys are going to get from porn or from the larger culture a lot of pressure there yeah to know well, exactly so, what you're doing huh oh yeah and it's so false because you know depending upon what strain of porn they're seeing you know chances are that the male is dominant it's really just there's so much wrongness to it and pressure the, yeah. right i just i i have to say i don't know how these kids function in this social media environment right now it's just mm -hmm. what did we have a, my best friend father had playboy magazines in the bathroom and that's you know and we stole them and locked the door and that was it yeah that was it i mean yeah. so uh, you know i can't believe i'm saying this because when my parents said it i was like eye roll but I wouldn't want to be their age. I wouldn't want to be dealing mm -hmm. with all this incoming, 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 mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. overwhelming to me what they're seeing and what they believe is expected of them. Mm -hmm. And which is why I just always felt like it was so important to just keep checking in, always check in, always check in with these kids and say, you know, are you feeling this? How are you feeling pressured? Are you? One of the biggest conversations, and this is completely off topic and maybe for episode two, three, four, or five, <laughs> is uh, the vulnerability of young men in society and as they go off to college. The women, it's, it's a given, but we have a bigger talk with our boys before they went off to college about their positioning in any situation where at the end of the day, it's going to be her word against yours. Mm -hmm. And who is going to, who are they going to side with? If all things being equal, you're in a room and it's just the two of you, 
who are they going to believe? So there were loads of discussions about don't put yourself in a situation where you ultimately could be questioned about something you did not do or accused of that. And I felt like the boys were more vulnerable than, yeah. than my daughter at, at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was a shift from when we were younger. Yeah, that was not the conversation at all. And Jen, I'm sure you've had these conversations with your boys because they're right in that in that age. It is a conversation we have, and it's one that we kind of muddle through together um, because the truth of the matter is in college frequently, uh, and truthfully, if we're honest, often high school uh, and life after, we as adults who follow these news stories know that like alcohol and sex is a bad combination as far as our kids and decision-making. And frankly, as far as us and decision-making, right? But the truth is, if you have people at a party and the boy's drinking and the girl is drinking and it's drunk sex all around, whoo, that is a really, really, really tough situation. And it's really hard to say, don't do it. Because uh, I can say that and it is not going to change the fact that young people drink and young people have sex. And so I try and get that same message across, Denny. And, and at the same time, there's part of my brain just holding my breath because I know it's un, it's pretty unrealistic that you know our kids are not gonna go through their 20s never uh, making a not great choice. I, I, I would hazard that all of us here have made choices that uh, we just got lucky that they worked out. And uh, mm-hmm. for instance, the first time I had sex, there was a safe sex commercial on the radio, <laughs> right? On the radio during the, the uh, experience. Did I practice safe sex during that experience? No. Did I get pregnant? No. Was that a matter of luck? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It was not because I made great choices. Well, I'm curious. I want to wrap this around because I don't want to forget that you're going to tell us how you handle things differently with your daughter because dad-daughter thing is different than dad-son. I've had plenty of conversations with my daughter. She's actually um, in a different space in terms of how she... um, like taking her time with relationships um, and sexual interactions. Um, She's also uh, very openly uh, uh, identifies as bisexual. Um, And um, she's 20 and, and, and is um, early in her um, experiences. So, and she's a very, very thoughtful person. And, and um, so I don't worry about her. Uh, in terms of her choices, she doesn't drink very much. You know, she's a, just a really uh, consider considers things carefully. So, uh, but we've had a lot of conversations. That, you know, and, and like probably the most awkward conversations we've had we've had as a threesome are um, where um, I early on when she was like in sixth grade, I was with the three of them, and I wanted to bring up the topic of marijuana, and um, the boys it's are weed. like, "It's weed." <laughs> I've been told, <laughs> or many other names, but we'll go with many marijuana, Dick. We'll just go with marijuana. Whatever I say, yeah. pot. My kids are. It's weed, Mom. Weed. Oh, it's not pot anymore. Oh gosh. Oh. Oh well, we're old. What can we say? <laughs> yeah, I was being very formal, I guess. Um, Cannabis. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. I could just say THC and be really medical about it, but. Um, um, I brought it up when Olivia was in sixth grade and the boys are like, we are not talking about that, dad. You know, she's not ready for that. And um, they're very protective of her. And so, yeah, long story is um, uh, I mean, to make the story uh, short that she and I have talked about it in various ways and she's a very, very thoughtful person. So I don't, I'm actually, I'll just admit, I'm happier when she's with women than uh, with men, because I know what men are like. I know what boys boys are like, and I've told her that many times. And um, so it actually, I feel much safer when I know she's um, engaged with women. 
Dick, you said something uh, before I want to circle back to, you know, you were talking about your early experience and it was, you know, a, a female who was older than you and you didn't really understand everything that was going on. But I mean, hello, hormones, you know, this is pretty good. Um, I don't think that that is an uncommon scenario, especially for young boys. And Janet, we talk all the time, biologically, females mature more quickly than boys do. And it has been so striking to me as a parent of boys, you know, when I was in seventh grade and in early high school, I was all worried about, you know, the boys and what they thought and parenting boys these age, they're often like totally not there yet. Like girls are sometimes thinking about sex and relationships, I think before the boys are, um, so is that something, you know, how do we talk to our boys about that? Is that something that you talk to your boys about? Um, I hear from lots of parents where the girls are coming on pretty heavy and strong and their boys are having to deal with that pressure. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, my boys uh, were in relationships pretty early. So one of my son's was in the same relationship from age uh, 14 to 22. That's a long time. Um, so starting in eighth grade. My emphasis has been, as I know Denny's is, and probably um, I assume the two of you, uh, is to, to really work, focus on the boy's character or the children's character, you know, their judgment and their, um, their choices around how do you treat people. And so I know I just got lucky that my two boys were born wired to be good people, as is my daughter, because I, I believe all three of them are very, very different. But uh, I don't think we could have formed that character if it wasn't there. Mm. Um, and that's another conversation about karma and uh, lots of other things. There's no question that the way my ex-wife and I uh, parent has helped form the character of our kids. But I think they were just wired that way to start with. Uh, I never had to tell my kids to do their homework ever, ever. Certainly there were, you know, there was help to make sure they focused, but, but uh, they were all self-motivated, our self-motivated. So just, just extremely fortunate around that. So, so in terms of my boys, I tried to really start from day one with, you know, how do you treat people? Mm -hmm. um, what what is right and wrong about how we actually um, demonstrate respect and honor others and honor ourselves and and um, so at the root of you know what's right and wrong around that I don't have a lot of uh, black and white uh, right and wrongness in my in my parenting except around things like that. So when the question of you know. How do you support or put up caution signs when we have children who are potentially becoming sexually active? Your son is with the same person from age 14 to 22. It's a long time and a lot of development in there. So me personally, and I have had, you know, sons have girlfriends through those ages as well. Like I am much less comfortable with the idea of say a 14 year old having sex uh, but yet, you know, you've got a son who's been with the same girl for many, many years, and now they're they're 22. Like it's a different story. So, did your expectations change? Did is that something that you talked about? Is that something you didn't talk about and just sort of let things happen as the kids got older and the relationships matured? Um, I'll talk about that, and then uh, Dan, I'd love to hear from you. I was pretty sure, you know, I did some questioning, but my sons would always deflect it. Um, I was pretty sure that that they weren't having sex that young, you know, at 14, 15, 16. Um, but as their relationships uh, matured or, or evolved, I was completely fine with um, and, in, and in fact encouraged them uh, to be together with their girlfriends um, in the I have a bedroom downstairs, you know, and it's affectionately called the man cave, but uh, I actually encourage them to be there mm -hmm. uh, rather than to be in some awkward place somewhere, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly, you know, and, and I have a, the, one of my rules is, you know, you can't drive if you've been drinking, like even if you've had one beer, you can't drive. Uh, I will pick you up any time of the day or night 
Um, there's just no questions. Not like, oh, did you have a beer four years, four hours ago? It's like you will not drive. That's like probably my only absolute rule with my mm -hmm. kids. So I, I actually encourage them to be here with their girlfriends. So that that speaks to our original, our, our listener who wrote in, and one of her questions was, should I let him have sex in my home? And uh, you're saying yes, and, and one of our, our beloved colleagues, Amy Lang of Birds and Bees and Kids, also says, you know, let them have sex in your home. Provide the space for them so they aren't out drinking. They're not in the backseat of the car in some parking lot somewhere. So Denny, what was your, what, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I love, I really love what Dick said, which is exactly how we parented too, is just about teaching our kids about respect to the mm -hmm. opposite sex and how I think that is the foundation of what ultimately lends itself to when they are in a situation where they could or couldn't they would or wouldn't take advantage of a situation that their, you know, their moral compass comes into play and says, this, there's something doesn't feel right about this to me. And this is not the time when I should be, you know, taking advantage of a situation. I had fairly late bloomers on that respect as far as sex too. We were in a small town, so um, things weren't quite moving as fast as some of the other suburbs in in other areas of my peers that I would hear about parties were few and far between so the environment that they were growing up in was a lot less dramatic mm -hmm. and um so that kind of helped a little bit I, I've never looked at my high school kids and said please have sex in my house I just didn't offer that permission mm -hmm. but we always encouraged our kids to have their friends over to have their girlfriends over we also have a space um, which is it affectionately known as, you know, the the passion pit or the love, the love basement or whatever it's called at that moment. But it's it's a, a space and a place for them to go with their person mm -hmm. that we are not staring at them. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there'd be the periodic door open like, hey, you guys want popcorn? Anybody need anything? <laughs> Heading down for some wine, you know, or it was just where the wine cellar. So it was all very fun and games. Mm -hmm. Did sexual activity go on down there? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Did we specifically say have sex in our basement? No. I, I, I wanted to plug this into Denny because you wrote to us and you said uh, that sometimes your kids were looking for you to say no. Absolutely. For them. And I think this is really important for our listeners to wrap their heads around too, is our kids need us to step in, especially like I remember my oldest in first month of high school, there was a party. You should go to the party. I was saying, go to the party. And she was definitely did not want to go to the party. I needed to listen to that. And then I needed to be ready to step in and actually say no. So, you know, let your kids blame stuff on you. That's totally fine. So, so there is this, it's just such a balance. It's such a dance of what, like nudging them out the door, but also being okay to just say, Hey, actually, no, blame it on me, whatever. And, and gauge that gauge their development, because we know every child is developing differently and um, to really be able to tune into that. I so appreciate both of you willing to join us for this conversation. We haven't ever done this on, on, on boys. We have never interviewed a brother and a sister before. And yeah. I think that we might have to have you back because there are definitely lots more things to discuss. And I appreciate you both being so candid in your sharing with us. And uh, yeah, I know, I know Dick's kids. He's raised great kids. Denny, I'm, I'm guessing yours are too. One of the things that stands out to me is that we all kind of muddle our way through this. We have what we don't want to do. We have what we want to do. And we sort of walk the line in between with our children. And each family is different. Each kid in each family is different. So to our listener who asked, what is the right thing to do? What is the correct thing to do? We don't have an answer for you. Correct and right varies depending on your family, your values, your kid, and the moment. 
take in all of this wisdom, think about it, think about yourself, your kids, and in the moment, more or less, you will figure out the path that works for your family. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you very much. Such a treat. Yeah, I would do it again. I I thought it was really fun. Yeah. Um, and and note that we have we have three weddings coming up. Yeah, I'm just gonna. Um, our our three oldest, so Denny's daughter is this year, and then our two uh, older sons are next year. Oh, wow! wow. So, well, those are going to be some celebrations, huh? Weddings yeah. and your grandbaby, Janet. Oh, so, lots going on. Well, you'll be next. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, because we know our kids have sex, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not until marriage. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we've heard. Uh, yes, yeah, but not too many details. All right. Okay, you guys, thank you so, so much. Thank Have you. Have a good day. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye, okay. all. Thank you. Pickleball soon, Dick. That would be so much fun. So fun. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining On Boys. Real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.